0: Okay.
1: Take our first question.
0: Going back to the Ted Turner example, I was thinking, well, since he had the means, probably he, he came forward, but was it really to do good for the common, or was it for his personal satisfaction that he was trying to do it?
1: Was, was Ted, Turner Ted Turner trying to do yeah, good for... Yeah, or
0: like anybody, like any one of us, if we have the 100 million, are we doing it for the common good, or is it for our personal satisfaction that we are trying to do? Good? Where's the margin...
2: So it it strikes me, the pragmatist in me says I don't care, right? The moralist worries about that question, but the pragmatist says I don't care, right? Now, where I care is at a slightly different level, which is if Ted Turner imposes his will on those who don't want it imposed, assume we want polio, I can't imagine why, Um, or assume that in eradicating polio he does greater harm, then I think that question becomes highly relevant. But if he actually were to eradicate polio from the world, what do I care? You know, that's between him and someone much more important than me, right? Um, And I think in a sense, To, to, to feel guilty about selfishness is, is, can get you caught in a trap that's actually a problematic trap for me. That, that I think the issue, and this is, it, it's fair that by taking this too far, you can cause even more of a problem, I think. But, but if you can reconcile self-interest with those things that you care about deeply and do it authentically um, and be genuine, who cares if there's an element of self-interest in it? So I love teaching. Is that a bad thing that I teach? No, I don't get to teach anymore because I'm a dean, right? They won't let me in the classroom. But but, um, but, but, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. It just so happens that part of the reason I love teaching is it's related to what I think a purpose of human beings is. So is it selfish? Is it selfish? I don't know, and I frankly don't care I mean, at one level.
1: No, I, I'm. Uh I'm very much aware that not everybody here is, is coming from a religious background or sees things in a theological frame of reference. So, what I'm about to say may not be helpful to everybody here, may not be helpful to anyone here, but it may be particularly unhelpful to some. I'm going to say it nonetheless. Um, uh, a very significant moment in my life uh, was uh, at a stage where I was trying to be good and I was trying to live on absolute minimum money and live with the poorest people. Uh, in in England, and uh, but even during that time, I was very doubtful about my own motives for for doing it. Was this about guilt and you know and so on? Um, and I I spoke to a monk, which is a very good thing to do if you've never done it, um, and and he he simply said to me, um, I think most of us do most things of significance that we do for five or six reasons and the important thing that if it is to remember is that if one of those is good good, then god can can use that but don't wait for all six to be perfect otherwise you never do anything and so uh i came to duke for one good reason and five selfish ones Uh, and uh, i'm having a great time next question carlyle go ahead To Dean Shepherd, yes. um, I like your three, your three uh, theories of justice, or so the three that you want to hold together, but it, in this situation in our country, when there are people without health insurance, without housing, without minimum needs being met, and CEOs are making many times what the lowest member. Uh, that's wrong, what, can we change that without throwing away everything's good about this system?
2: So, so, so to, uh, to go, that's a huge question, so, so let me try to deal with a couple of elements to it. Um, first is that uh, you know, the, the, the um, uh, head of education in Houston who became the, uh, the Secretary of Education Um, was pretty powerful about saying, don't take their dreams away. Their dreams away. And, And a piece of the issue has to do with, it's not so much that it's a bad thing to be successful and compensated for it. It's that there's a whole segment of our society who believes they could never do it. And and and, um, and so part of it for me is think of the kids. Now, I want to come to another part, which is another piece of your question. Think of the kids. And, and I think that having kids aspire is not a bad thing. Now, how big does the discrepancy have to be for that to be? I don't know, and actually, um, I wouldn't point to the CEOs per se, I'd point to Yes. A whole series of people where it's less clear what they're contributing. Because actually the CEO discrepancy is not as large as we think it is. It turns out Rick Wagner doesn't make that much money relative to other people who contribute far less to society than he does. But there are people who are paid too much. second piece, though, I think is actually to the question of what about the circumstances where people are just badly off and all of the motivational issues that come with aspiration are either done or it isn't gonna do any good. Um, I think in my case, that's a circumstance of where society has forgotten need. And I believe we have to some degree in the United States. Um, I think we have in society at large, in the world at large. Now, um, and, and so, To me, the danger in any society in any moment in time is the imbalance between those three. What I don't want us to do is revert to saying need dominates to the exclusion of all others because that will be a world none of us will want to live in, right? What I do want us to do is figure out how to create a society that dynamically manages those three effectively over time. And so I think we've created people so focused on the aspiration, achievement, accomplishment part, or so focused on equality, by the way, which is sometimes even worse, that we've forgotten need. And so, you're right. Um, Now, how we fix it, I think, to me, says, talk about all three together don't emphasize one to the exclusion of the other two. So while while you're saying there are people desperately in need, isn't it morally incumbent upon us to do something about that? Also say, isn't it incumbent upon us to create circumstances that people want to aspire? Where I worry is when they're put in opposition to each other. That's a really good question. Um, uh, it, I think there are moments in time in any society where that society has done better. I think there are moments in time in the US when we've done better than we're doing now. I, there, I would have argued when I grew up as a Canadian, Canada does better, but frankly I think we under aspire. I think the level of accomplishment that happened in Canada was less than it could be. So I'll tell you a story related to this. I was. Um, Uh, my fantasy job having grown up in Canada was University of British Columbia because it turns out it's the only place in Canada where the weather is even halfway decent Um, and so we all wanted to live it was also beautiful the mountains come straight to the water but it's a gorgeous place to live and so I knew that was a job I wanted I was gonna have to persuade my family two boys who thought themselves as an American and an American wife that they wanted to move to Vancouver I interviewed for the Dean's job and it's an amazing place. Virtually no one is badly off. I mean, the common good is taken care of. Needs are well met. People are healthy. There, there's virtually no poverty. But you know, I then went downtown and met the business leaders downtown. And I asked them about their aspirations for the city. And they had none. I asked them, what do they do when a business gets successful? They move it south of the border because they don't know how to manage a successful business in Vancouver. And so there was a quality of it that, that, that was lacking, which is a sense of accomplishment, a sense of achievement, a sense of purpose. They, they could ski whenever they wanted, they could eat great food, they could have lattes, they could fish, and, and no one was poorly off. And it felt as void as the circumstance where people are needy. I'm greedy, I want all three. Answer. I'm really interested in your use of the word authenticity, and it's uh, possibly something we could discuss quite a long time. It's not
1: even a term that I would initially associate with with business, because I think of the advertising industry is so often working against uh, finding ath- authenticity in
2: our consumer habits. But um, I was thinking about the curriculum that you offer here at the business school, which I'm not at all familiar with. So, are you mindful of um, addressing that as you train future business leaders that authenticity is is an admirable and important quality from at least from your depiction I think in future leaders yes but probably less than we should be Um, so so um, we've started this discussion inside the school about what does it mean to create a leader of consequence right and and um, let me differentiate for you for a minute The, the people who hire our students really like them because they say I like to work with them, they're great colleagues, they're great students. They're, I mean, they're, 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 they work hard, they're diligent, they're incredibly well trained. They also say they're missing an edge, they, they don't lead enough, and so we're working on building leadership. And, and where that goes when you have a conversation with the recruiters is to the point that says there's another school somewhere further up the north coast, the east coast, where their goal in life is to be the CEO of the company they enter. Right. That strikes me as a non-consequential goal and actually a non-authentic goal. Right. And what we're trying to get at Fuqua is to have our students grapple with what is, it, what is the consequence that matters to them in the world? What is the set of things they care about deeply? What is it they value, and how do they connect the things they value to the capabilities we've just given them? So that if they have to be a CEO to achieve it, they become a CEO. But it's only because it's a requisite to to be consequential. Right. And 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 I think that conversation's really beginning to resonate. Now it turns out it's not just a curriculum issue. You actually have to you have to brand it. I'm sorry for using an advertising for but you have to declare that's who you are, you have to recruit it. You have to teach it. You have to create it in the atmosphere. You have to create a culture where people hold each other accountable for it. Um, and then you have to check up on your alumni and make sure they're doing what they said they were going to do. You have to occasionally ping them with a guilt message that says, have you been consequential enough lately, right? Sort of. Uh, um, and, um, and, and I think that, that we are not doing anywhere near as well as we could, but we're pretty self-conscious about doing it. And we've done some really pretty amazing changes lately, well before I came here to the job. Um, Your point, I think, is really well taken, though, which is when does being effective as a manager actually cause you to make decisions that cause you to be non-authentic? And I think an awful lot of what isn't working in society is when you've gone too far in that step, causing kids to want things they don't really need it's just bad. Um, And and so a, a problem that's happened in business schools I think is we've lost two constructs that were there when we began. One was the notion of business as a profession and therefore a series of obligations associated with that as a profession. And second the notion that all businesses exist because society permits them to exist and therefore you ought to remember why society allowed you to exist in the first place. If you get those two things, we get closer to authenticity. Does that make sense?
0: Um, Um, I'm sorry, but I didn't check with my wife if this question was stupid or not, but anyway. (laughs) um, Do you see from the educational institution's point of view any responsibility, not just moral responsibility, responsibility per se, to develop, to help the students to develop a social conscience So that when they finish their degree and they start making the big money, become big executives, as most of the people in Fuqua will be in the future, you know, they will remember that, yes, because they were smart and they studied hard, but also the guys on the trenches in their companies that are doing the dirty work help them to be there, and those guys in the trenches need to have a health insurance, need to have a retirement account, need to have decent wages so they can be they can live and educate their children.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean um, so, so, so I'm sorry, I have to be slightly too cute with the question. I mean, it turns out I have to do that because as a dean, I can't raise money if I don't induce a sense of social conscience and guilt um, in our alumni. Uh, and uh, and and I just hope they remember what matters most in the world. The um, it's a hard thing about being a dean of a business school, which is, how do you feel asking for money following the American Cancer Society? Um, uh, but, but actually, I feel very good, by the way. I believe what we do has a significant moral purpose, and it relates to your point. There's both a pragmatic answer and a moral answer to your question, I think. The pragmatic answer is businesses do not survive that don't take care of the issues you articulated. And it actually has to do with my point earlier about the three principles of justice, that that, um, if I do not care for the needs of those who work for me, they will not be part of the same community to which I belong, and therefore they will not be good. It's purely pragmatic. Now, it's also moral. Um, Part of the job of a business school is to connect pragmatics and morality whenever we can. The second part of a job of a business school, of any educational institution, is to reconnect people to their own values. I ran a business called Do Corporate Education before we, I became dean here. And one of the things I discovered in running that business is that many adults have forgotten how to dream. And the reason they've forgotten how to dream is is they've had a dream, it's been beaten down, they've had a dream, it's been beaten down, they've had a dream, it's been beaten down. And and so they were just getting on, getting on. And it turned out their life was miserable. Right? What we ended up doing, although we didn't know this is what we were doing at a time, was reconnecting their values and their aspirations to the reality of their work day. And they said, I can dream again. Right? What's interesting for me in that story is that aspiration and values and morality are connected to each other. So one of our tasks is to, is to get people to reflect on what it means to be themselves in their best sense. If we do that and we create peripheral vision, then I think they're more likely to create the organization that people would want to be a part of. Do we do that as well as we should? No. Do we create some assumptions that actually are at odds with that? Yes. Do we need to fix that, especially in the 21st century? You betcha. And the reason I think we have to is really critical, and it goes well beyond just our organizations, places people want to work. It turns out that for a long time, business could act as if the other aspects of civil society weren't connected to it, we no longer can. And and we no longer can because we're consuming resources that can't be replenished and we're creating a world we can't live in, environmentally. We no longer can because the gross inequities that are created when it goes too far are now visible to the world and they're visible in a way where those who are inequitably treated will do something about it. And, and we can't because disease is transportable in a way that we've never seen before. So the notion that business schools could isolate themselves from the rest of the university and that business schools could teach a set of principles that were separated from the rest of civil society is no longer true. Therefore your question is something that I, as dean 20 years ago, could probably have deflected. I no longer can.
0: How would you compare the morals and values of corporate world to the corporate America, not only America, maybe, the world, versus the morals and values in the corporate world in the post war era,
2: World war II? That's a really good question. I was a kid then, right? So I can't. I'm um, yeah yeah I think the answer is um uh post war there was greater morality but greater naivete. I'm not sure what's more dangerous
1: I've got time for one more one more question, and then i think uh just, just yeah just just here
0: hi um
2: I don't know if the hundred million dollar question has been we're satisfied with the answer yeah. I don't know um, isn't saying that, that we can't really do anything with $100 million, losing sight of what, how much money $100 million really is. And um, what constitutes a, like a change, a difference, a real difference? If $100 million could certainly change my life, like, what, like what, what constitutes a real difference? Maybe it won't cure polio, but what kind of difference could it make? That would be important. Oh, that's a great question. And actually, we, I did deflect the question. Um, do you want to take it, or do you want me to? Uh, oh, no, this is all yours. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so, so, so I think I did answer the question, right? I mean, I think my answer is that, that if I had any amount of money that was discretionary, and I do have some, right, um, I would allocate it toward those things that build capability, right? That, that, that I think to solve the problem directly, has far less leverage than to build the capability in people to continue to solve the problem, right? Now, with $100 million, you can do a lot of capability building, right? Now, where? where? I don't know. But you know, we're having a really interesting discussion at Duke around sort of if Duke were to bring the resources to the university to bear on developing capability in a way that would maximally help the world, where would we go? It's a fascinating discussion, and I don't know who's right yet, right? So there's a million managers missing in sub-Saharan Africa that's stopping health from taking it. We have enough docs. We have enough nurses. We have enough medicine. There's just not enough people to actually manage the the supply chain and the distribution of all those activities and sustain it over time. Is that more important than the fact that there's a whole series of kids in India who... Um, aren't getting any education whatsoever. Is that more important than the fact that there's some people in Durham who actually have a disparity in quality of life that's way different from those of us who work in the university? And we're actually having a lively and healthy debate. I do know that if I was to allocate that money, I would allocate it to capacity or capability building, not to the immediate solution of problems.
1: Yeah, just just so you don't feel I'm deflecting, (laughs) I guess my answer would would be similar to Blair's in the sense that if it's a simple construction principle. If you, if you want to go up, you have to start by going down. That, that, that it's, you know, foundations and roots. are. I mean, that, that's why after 15 years as a practitioner, I've, I've become part of a university and, and especially a divinity school, it is because uh, I feel that uh, such energies or insight as I, as I have or have developed are, are, are better spent uh, preparing leaders for communities than for having to be that
2: leader myself, I guess. So it's similar with use of money. So let me answer a slightly different question, though, which is um, I, I really, when I, when I first thought about being a dean, I couldn't be a dean because I couldn't ask for charitable contributions to a business school. I now can. And the reason I now can is not unrelated to his point which is, I think, given the fundamental importance of business in both the creation and the solution of the, the fundamental issues of society, it is an incredibly noble act to prepare leaders who do that well.
1: A good place to stop, I think. Um, I'm extremely grateful to, to Blair, uh, 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 and I'm sure you are too, and Gaston's going to say a few, few words in conclusion. Sure. I- Dean Shepard, Dean Wells, thank you for allowing us to listen in on this conversation and to participate in it. Let's express our appreciation to uh, the deans. We're hoping to have more of these and to continue these conversations. If you would like to be a, a Dean's Dialogue groupie and be aware of the next, the next time we're having one, there's some sign-up sheets in back. If you'll just put your name and email, we'll make sure that you're made aware of those dates. We're hoping to have Dean's Dialogues with Dean Jones in the Divinity School, Dean Levy in the Law School, and Dean Shamedes in the Nicholas School of the Environment, among others. And so these are important times to reflect on these questions. Thank you for your time and your questions and your participation.